as I was saying to you earlier, um, the last few months we've been taking a real long look at God. So what does that mean? Um, we've been talking a lot about um, the liberty we have in God because He is who He, he is. Uh, Elaine, have you started reading the book uh, Providence yet? Not yet. Yeah, it's a monster. It's about 700 pages. I started it and... Uh, it's written by John Piper, famous preacher in the States. And he, I was talking to a brother about it this week, and I, I got stuck on this sentence. He says this, John Piper in his book entitled Providence, he says, God created the world for God. Now, we were talking about this. I'm thinking that your average, obviously your, your average human being on the street would not be able to articulate this, but what... what what I'm afraid of is that many Christians could not articulate that that is true, that God created for God. I know that as a human being, we all tend to think it's kind of all about us. But if we understand our Bible, God created, God created for God. And then he says this, he is the one for whom you exist, right? He is the one for whom you exist. You only exist in relation to God. Were it not for God, you would not exist, and you would have no purpose. I just love these, I, lo I love this statement. Those of you who been around for a while, um, you know I quote Piper a lot, and one thing he's been saying for about 20 years is, you guys will have heard this before, in light of the first quote, the second quote is, human life is all about <laughs> human life is all about God if God creates if creation is all about God then obviously human life is all about God and if you're not living your life in relation to him you're wasting it you're wasting it so I wanted to share those, those quotes with you let me just stop and ask you is that how it is with you uh, do you see your life as being all about God or is your life just a little bit about God? Mostly about you and just a little bit about God. What's it like for you when you get out of bed on Monday? What is it like for you? Do you agree with that assertion? Do you, do you believe it's biblical to talk like that? Or do you think this is just, you know, Pastor Jim being Pastor Jim and channeling John Piper. What do you really believe about these kinds of statements? Do you believe that you were created for God, essentially for God, and that everything else is subordinate to that? Do you believe that? It makes a huge difference in our lives if we actually believe that. Again, one of my most famous uh, or oft-repeated passages from Scripture, Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I read the text to you. And obviously this is true for the Apostle Paul, right? You remember how he started the text? I do all things for the sake of what? Paul. No. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, right? I do all things for the sake of the gospel. We talked a little bit about this last week. 
Paul really believed that Jesus is better than anything life can give and Jesus is better than anything death can take. So I want to start like this. Um, how many of you have read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? All right, good, good. Um, then you'll recognize, you'll recognize the, uh, the account. You know that uh, this is a satire written by Lewis. And um, Screwtape is a senior demon, and he's mentoring his nephew, who is a junior demon. And Wormwood has been assigned a human being, or a, a patient. He, he's the patient. And the goal of the demon is to keep the patient or the human being from God. That's, that's what the demons are... That's, a, that's the assignment. Keep, keep the patient from God. So there's trouble in chapter 2. We find out that Wormwood's patient has made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? You have to love, <laughs> you have to love Wormwood's, uh, or pardon me, Screwtape's response. Screwtape writes back to Wormwood and says, There's no need to despair. Many of these so-called converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp, and they are now with us. Now, what's he talking about, these reclaimed Converts. He's obviously talking about not a truly born-again believer. He's talking about the many who make some superficial profession of faith in Christ. But it's not real. It's not real. There's no change in the life. There's no true conversion that has happened. So he's referring to cultural Christians, right? He's referring to the nominal Christian. Now listen to what Screwtape's counsel is to Wormwood. You're going to love this. I've always loved it. Listen to what he says. Listen to what Screwtape says to Wormwood. He says this, talk to your patient or your human being. Talk to your patient about what? Moderation in all things. All right? Talk to your patient about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to, to the point of thinking that religion is all very well and good up to a point, right? You can feel quite happy about his soul. Okay, we're back to the moderation issue, right? And he finishes, a moderated, okay, this is one demon talking to another, obviously satire by C.S. Lewis. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And then he says this, and it's far more amusing. <laughs> you know, if you claim to be a Christian, but you're really not one, okay, Satan is laughing at you. He's got you right where he wants you, right? You think you belong to Christ, but you don't. That's exactly where he wants you. Don't you love it? Moderated religion is as good for us as no religion, and it's a lot more fun, right? It's a lot more fun for the demons. Moderated religion. Let me define the word moderated for you. A couple of synonyms. It's being modest in your faith. It's being restrained in your faith. It's being average in your faith. It's being ordinary in your faith. It's being mediocre in your faith. Isn't that what we see? Of course, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I grew up in a, in a denomination. My, my, theo, my theologian and mentor calls it an unregenerate denomination. It's just a bunch of people like, you know, playing church with God, right? That's what these words 
mean? I was thinking of some other descriptive terms. It's like having a conditional Christianity or a qualified Christianity or a provisional Christianity or a contingent Christianity. My Christianity kind of, it, 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 it kind of comes down to how I feel today, right? It comes down to what circumstance I'm in. It comes down if it's going to cost me at the, at the job, right? It comes down to whether it's going to alienate someone in my family. It, it, it really comes down, it's contingent. It's always contingent. This is one of the things that I think C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand. So, a moderated Christianity, just about anything can take precedent over Jesus, over the church, over the word, and over his commands. Almost anything can get in the way. It's a Christianity of convenience. It's a Christianity of if it fits my schedule, okay. It's a Christianity that doesn't constrict really my lifestyle or anything I would, the flesh wants to do. It's a Christianity that doesn't get in the way of my hobbies. It doesn't get in the way of how I surf the internet. It doesn't get in the way of, of how much energy I pour into my, my business or my career. It doesn't inconvenience me or cost me anything. As one uh, great teacher said, it's a, it's a Christianity that ventures nothing, foregoes nothing, risks nothing, and sacrifices nothing. Now, isn't that epidemic in the modern church? I'm going to say it again. A Christianity that ventures nothing, foregoes nothing, risks nothing, and sacrifices nothing. Moderated Christianity. Satan loves it. Satan loves it. I love how Francis Chan talks about it. <laughs> he says, it's being lukewarm and loving it. Right? Being lukewarm and loving it. Is how Chan talks about it. Karen and I were talking about this the other day. And another word came into my mind. It's just, it's just that my, my Christian faith is kind of disposable. Again, it comes down to the circumstance. It comes down to, to what uh, situation I'm in or, or what venue I'm in, right? It really comes down to that. If I need to dispose of it or push it to the periphery, I can do it. I will do it. If it's more expedient for me personally to do that, I do that. It's a little different than what we've read when we read the words of the Apostle Paul, is it not? Some of you remember, I've shared this with you before. I've always loved this. I've got to share it with you, then I'll move on. <laughs> Wilbur Reese, a 20th century preacher, he had an old poem, and he wrote these words. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, right? You've heard this? <laughs> How many folks coming into churches on the Lord's Day, and they really just want, I had a guy say this to me one time. He says, man, he says, man, I don't want all that conviction. He says, I don't want that. He says, I just want a little, you know, a, a little uh, inspiration for the next week. That's what I'm looking for. And I told him, I said, well, don't come here. <laughs> you know, come back here, because that's not what we're in the business to do. A little inspiration. You know, we, we're, here to, we're here for our lives to be changed. I mean, that's why I hope you walk through the door. That's, that's why I preach. You know, I'm preaching to myself. You know this, right? Every good preacher is preaching to himself. Not that I'm a good preacher, but I, I do try to have some integrity. 
with the word. Let me finish the, the Wilbur Reese thing. I'd like $3 worth of God, please. I don't want to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, $3 worth of God. What an insult to God, amen? What an insult to God. I just want a little bit. Well, we've been looking at God for a couple of months now, right? And if we've really looked at him, if we've really caught a glimpse, we know we want all of him. And we know that's going to take forever. It's going to take forever to apprehend all that Jehovah God is. Which means we never truly will. I think we mentioned it last week, this utilitarian view of God. I just want to stroke him just right so I can get what I want, right? He's, he's more like a, a rabbit's foot. He's like a lucky charm for many people in the modern church. Many who hang around Christianity, they profess to be Christians, they, attern, they attend church semi-regularly, um, and they actually serve the church sometimes when it's not too inconvenient. So let me ask you this, am I wrong to say that if we read our Bibles with only average comprehension skills, that this is an utterly false view of biblical Christianity? I'm talking about the moderated brand, the lukewarm brand. Am I wrong to say that moderated Christianity is no Christianity at all? Am I wrong to say that Christ, His church, His word, and His commands are not a matter of convenience for the true believer? They're never a matter of convenience. They are always a consuming passion and priority. Now, this is what we see in the text tonight. For the Apostle Paul, it was always his passion, it was always his priority to make much of Christ. So the question before us, and me too tonight, all of us in this room, is that true for us? Or have we moderated? Have we moderated? our view of what Christianity should be. You know what Jesus said. He said, follow me, right? It's unconditional. Follow me. Come and go with me. And you can't go with Christ unless you really believe. He'll always go to places that you won't go. You won't go with him where he's going unless you really believe he's God. Unless you really believe it. Hebrews 11.6, unless you really believe He's not only God, but He's a rewarding God. Because He's going to take you places that are difficult. I think we talked a little bit about that last week. I won't develop that any further. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 10.37-39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake, he will find it. There's no way to moderate that call. There's no way to dumb that down. You can't do it with any integrity. You simply cannot do it. It is an unconditional call to follow me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Christianity is. Some of you say, well, I didn't know that was the deal. That is the deal. That's the deal. There is no other deal. We're either all in or we're not in. That's the deal. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. 
in the text. You may remember, I'll get into the text in just a moment, what Paul says over in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I press on. Let me ask you, are you pressing on with God? He says, I press on with God. He says, I reach forward to what lies ahead with Christ. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You remember what he said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. He's told him to fight the good fight and to lay hold of the eternal life to which he has been called. Beloved, these are not casual, tepid, moderated, conditional verbs. It's all in. It's always all in. I know you guys know this. Those of you have been around for a while. But, you know, I always like to exhort you. Go on with God. You know, your, your walk with God should never look like it looked 12 months ago. It shouldn't look the same. There should be, there should be some growth here, right? There should be some new obedience here, right? We never sit down with God. We're always going on with Christ. It's what the Apostle Paul says in our text tonight. Let me just read it again. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Hope you're looking at a Bible or your electronic device. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive the, a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So two things I want to point out. He's talking about the prize of the Christian life. We've been talking a lot about that lately, right? Hey, brother, good to see you. <laughs> He's been talking. What is the prize of the Christian life? Tell me, what is it? I get to go to heaven. No, that's not it. What is it? I, what is the prize of the Christian life? Tell me. God. God is the prize of the Christian life. Paul understands this. The more he obeys, the more he gets God. This is what drove him. It wasn't being, you know, a good Christian or a good disciple or a good apostle. Um, that wasn't it at all. I get God. God is the prize. Jesus Christ is the prize. Secondly, he's talking about how that, if, that affects how we live, right? If, if one is true, then two will be true. And two is my life, my life reveals that Christ is my prize, right? My life reveals that Christ is my prize. This is what he's talking about. It's what he's talking about in the text. Verse 23 I do some stuff for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> he says, he says, I do everything. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Now, I say this to you a lot, but you know why you're here. You know why you're still on the planet. So you can have a good career and a great family. Right? That's why God's left you here. You're just going to get your 79.8 years 
you know, you're going to get your statistical life expectancy, and that's why you're here. Have a little fun, you know, go on some good vacations. That's why you're here. Why is the Christian here? To be a witness, and it's what Paul's talking about, right? I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He's doing all things for the sake of the gospel. It's what Paul is saying. I like how Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the Message Bible, I like how he paraphrases it here. He says, uh, I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that, right? So, so are you in on it? Yeah, are, are you in on the... the, the uh, I do all things for the sake of the gospel thing. Are you in on that? I like how Peterson drives us to that. Paul says the same thing to Timothy over in 2 Timothy 4.16. He says, take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold fast to that. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Is Paul saying he and Timothy must earn their salvation by the things they're doing? Of course not. That's antithetical to biblical Christianity. What's he saying here in verse 27? Pardon me, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9. That he may become a fellow partaker. He's simply saying, right? He's simply saying that he wants to make as many fellow partakers as possible. This is his life's goal. I want to bring as many people along with me as possible. Understanding, obviously, God is sovereign in these things. But I'm going to speak the truth. My life is going to be a witness to God. Again, in the way I go to the university, the way I do my studies, the way I surf the Internet, the way I handle my sexuality. It's all about Christ. It's all a witness to Christ. I honor Christ in every sphere of my life, right? He says, I want to bring as many partakers with me as is possible. I've always liked to say it like this. Paul's not earning his salvation. And shame on you if you still believe that's true. You've not understood. <laughs> You've not understood the biblical message. Come, we'll talk about it together. But I've always liked to say it like this. Discipleship is salvation and salvation is discipleship. There is no biblical distinction between the two. Paul says, my joyful obedience to Jesus uh, my doing all things for the sake of the gospel is not a prerequisite to being saved. It's evidence of my salvation. The fact that I'm out here, right, giving myself away for the sake of the gospel, it's just the fruit of salvation. I'm not doing it to be saved. I'm doing it because I am saved. This is the way it is for the New Testament believer. Paul says, I don't, Paul says, if I don't live it, I don't have it. So we're back to moderated Christianity, right? And the demons laughing in the, in the background. Paul says, if I don't live it, I don't have it. Paul says, if we don't live it, we are not partakers of it. This is part of the point. If we're not living it, we're not partakers. We're pretenders, right? We're... we're we're not partakers. We are pretenders. You guys know what it says over in James chapter 2. Faith without works is useless. It's dead. It's comparable to demon faith. This is why they're laughing. <laughs> this is why they're laughing. This is why the demons laugh. 
So real faith is not disposable, it's not conditional, it's not provisional, it's not contingent. It's always a passion and a priority for the true believer. Again, Paul is not saying that we have to earn our salvation. He's simply saying the way we live reveals the authenticity of our salvation. We don't have to become disciples to be saved. We have to become disciples. Why? Because we are. Right? I don't, hey, I didn't quit my job and become a pastor because I was trying to get saved. <laughs> I did that because I am. Right? I am. And I got to talk about it. And I know for some of you, I talk too long about it. And, and, you know, the kids are always asking Karen, why is he screaming? And I, I talk too loudly about it. But man, I'm jazzed about it. I think, if, how can you not be jazzed about the gospel? How could you not be? There's something bad wrong. There's simply something bad wrong. Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, and here it is. Okay, I'm going to give you just a couple of scriptures. Listen to these verbs. These are not moderated verbs. These are not tepid verbs. Listen, Jesus says, I'm not going to give you all the references. If you want them, email me. I'll send you my notes. Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow door. Jesus said again over in John 6, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. In Galatians 6, the Holy Spirit says, let's not grow weary in doing well. Ephesians 5, redeem the time. Philippians 3, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, this is the exact opposite of a moderated Christianity. I go to church. Okay, I'm a Christian. You might be a Christian. You might not be one. And I'm talking in an absolute sense, right? I'm not talking about culturally. I'm talking about in relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's what I'm talking about as I talk about Christianity. There's always this aspect of striving and moving on and pressing on and pushing the envelope. This is always alive and well. Now, listen, I, I understand that some Christians, I know, I, and, hey, we all have dull times. And there are times when we can be prone to backsliding. But what I'm challenging you to do is to learn to fight and to press and to go on. And one reason we looked at all those big God passages in Isaiah was because if you look at God, you'll be motivated to press on and to move on, right? And to strive and to labor. You'll be motivated to do it. If you have God clearly in your mind, You'll be motivated to live this way. If you're not looking at God, if you're looking at the media and all the goofiness that goes on in the world, you'll end up living like the world. You simply will. But if you read New Testament Christianity, it's never passive. It is never passive. Listen to how John Piper talks about it. Paul runs and fights the way he does, not because he doesn't have Christ, but precisely because he does have Christ. He intends to show to the world this very fact. This life is a proving ground of whether faith is dead or alive. A proving ground of who we are, whom we trust, and whom we cherish. Piper closes. This race of life has eternal consequences, not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but be because grace is verified by the way we run. 
We run to obtain eternal life because we have already been obtained for life on the basis of God's work. I want to read that last sentence again. We run to obtain eternal life because we have already been obtained for it. This comes right out of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to give you this famous litany out of 1 Peter. Don't turn there. The true believer will obtain eternal life because we have been obtained for it. 1 Peter chapter 1. Don't turn there. Verse 1. We've been chosen by God. Verse 2. We've been redeemed by the blood of God. Verse 2 again. We've been sanctified by the Spirit. Verse 3. We've been, God has caused us to be born again. Verse 4. He, he has prepared an, an imperishable inheritance for us. Verse 5, He is protecting us with His omnipotent power. Verse 6 and 7, He is perfecting our faith through every trial. Verses 8 and 9, He's saving our soul. I'm just, I'm just developing the fact that the true believer will be obtained for eternal life because we have been obtained for it. So we have this huge sovereign aspect to what God is doing in our lives. Let me read to you real quick, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Listen to what Paul says. So the born-again Christian is obtaining what he has been obtained for. Listen to how he, how he talks about it. Not that I have already laid hold of it or have become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, it's always pressing on. So I just simply ask you, are you pressing on in your faith? Are you moving on in your relationship? This is no small matter. It's no small matter to God. It's certainly no small matter to you. There's this dangerous fallacy in the modern church. We talk a lot about it in here, so I won't, I won't uh, bludgeon it again. But it's, it's simply, I, I did the prayer, I did the ordinance, I go to church when it's not too inconvenient. I'm a Christian. That's biblically unrecognizable. You cannot recognize that in the New Testament. These guys are pressing. These guys are pushing, right? These guys are striving. Not to earn salvation, but to reveal their salvation. And the purpose for which they've been redeemed and left on the planet, which is to be a witness. And Paul says, I do everything, everything I do is about that. You say, well, Jim, that's, that's Paul. He's Paul. I'm, I'm Jim. I can't do it. You're not supposed to be Paul. You're supposed to be you in Christ. And I'm just going to challenge you not to waste one more day not being who you're supposed to be in Christ, right? There is this fallacy in what is called the modern church. And it is biblically unrecognizable. Verse 24, Paul says, not only do I run, I run to what? What does your text say? What does he say, what does he say there at the end of verse 24? I not only run, I run what? To win. Now, he's not talking about trying to outrun your brother in Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's here to beat the world system. I'm trying to win against the world system, right? The battle of the flesh. The battle in the spirit, the battle with the lowercase 
gee, God of this world, these are real battles, beloved. He says, I'm going to win that battle. I'm going to win that battle. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to win that battle so I can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. He says, this is the way I run. I saw a great quote. I was reading John MacArthur on this text. And he was talking about the athlete. You know, again, we have this, um, we have this metaphor here, or this analogy of the athlete, right? And I love what he said. Is this true of you and your Christianity? Listen to what he said. An athlete leads his body. He does not follow his body. I just think that's brilliant. An athlete, let me get it right, leads his body. He does not follow it. Beloved, I've known, I've known Christians all my life, professed Christians, and they just, they just do the easy thing. They just follow their urges. It's whatever they want. It's what my flesh, you know, the world says it's okay, so it must be okay. I'll challenge you. It's a great challenge for all of us in this room. The true Christian leads his body. He doesn't follow his body. I just think that is brilliant. I've always loved how Oswald Chambers challenges Christians at this point. Listen to this. this I love this quote. May God not find the wine, W-H-I-N-E, may God not find the wine in us, but may he find us full of spiritual pluck and athleticism, ready to face anything he brings. Now, what's pluck mean? Who knows what the word pluck means? Anybody? It's kind of a weird word. It's an old word. Um, but that's the title of the sermon. I want you and you and you and you and you, you guys over here, I want you to leave here and be plucky, right? I just want you to go out there and be plucky. You say, Jim, well, you need to define the word for me. Maybe I can. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I want you to go be plucky. Here's what it, here's what it means. It means in your Christianity to have nerve, to have guts, to have courage, to have resolve, to have backbone, to have fortitude, to have heart and spirit and spunk. No wine, just pluck, right? No wine. Just pluck. God has called His people to live this way and to be witnesses, to be witnesses in the world. God says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. Do you know this? This is a big deal for you to get to the place where you understand you are not your own. You were bought with a price. What, what, how does that finish? You were bought with a price what? Therefore what? Glorify God. Glorify God. Again, this is our job for the few moments that we have on the planet. So to borrow Paul's metaphors here, in our text tonight, Paul is saying all this running and all this fighting in the believer's life, it reveals the overwhelming beauty, value, and sufficiency of God. It's what we've been saying for months. If you've really seen Him, your life will exhibit the fact that you've really seen Him. And your life will 
give testimony to the fact that he is worthy. He is worthy above everything else, right? He is satisfactory. He is compelling. He is awesome. He is what drives me. Beloved, this sets every other so-called religion apart from, from Christianity. Only Christianity is driven with these kinds of issues, desire and love and beauty and awe and wonder, right? We're driven by these things because our God is a God of unimaginable, compelling beauty. Paul says, I run to win. The point here is not, again, that we, we leave our brothers and sisters in the dust. The point is that we are beating the desires of the flesh, the worldly desires, the temp temporal obstacles that are always in the way of the Christian. We are running to overcome these obstacles. Now, Paul's alluding, as you probably well know, the Olympics... Uh, in Greece were held about 180 kilometers down the road from Corinth. The Corinthians also had a, uh, an Olympic kind of competition on a regular basis. So Paul's bringing this in to help people understand. So how much work does an Olympic athlete have to put in? Hey, we had, here, we had one here once. How much work? right? <laughs> it's their life. Their whole life is about this. They actually don't have much of a life except that. They're pointing at, at, the, at the stand, right? The metal stand. Listen to how Paul talks about it. Verse 25, I exercise self-control. Again, he's making the analogy. Verse 26, I don't run or box without a name. I have a name. I have a goal. Verse 27, I buffet or pummel my body, making it my slave. So the, the analogy is just as the athlete gives himself over to his sport, Paul is calling us to give ourselves over to our faith. It's a powerful analogy, right? It's a very powerful analogy. There is no moderated aspect to it. It is not conditional. It is not contingent. It is not disposable. When the Olympic athlete's uh, alarm goes off at four in the morning because he's got to hit the road and train, it's not, it, it's not something that, that's on the bubble. It's not on the bubble. He's got to get up at four in the morning or he'll never get it to the, he'll never get to the medal stand. He's got to do it. It's discipline, brother and sister. It's discipline. This is what Paul is saying to us, it is discipline. And you can do it at your leisure. If you go back and look at verses 19 to 22, immediately preceding our text tonight, Paul will say it, I think it's six times. Why is he running like this? Why is he running like this? To win the lost. He's doing it to win the lost. That's the competition he's in. This is a great, great analogy, obviously. So the Christian or the spiritual athlete is proactively incorporating the things in his life that will make him most useful in the kingdom, such as what? 
going deep in the word, deep in prayer, deep in obedience, deep in loving the body of Christ, and deep in putting down sin, right? Deepens the sanctification. We're moving on in these things. We're not passive in these things. We are disciplined in these things. We want to be good stewards of the few moments that we have left on the planet. And Paul says, hey, these guys, these guys are training for a perishable wreath, but we have an imperishable one. I looked it up. The last, I think the last Olympics were 2016 in Rio, the Summer Olympics. You know how much a gold medal was worth? Anybody know? You know how much a gold medal is worth? 500 bucks. 400 euros. They give their lives away for 500 bucks. And we know it's not just about the medal. It's about the, the, the acclaim and the fame and the prestige and all that. But at the end of the day, what, they, what they're holding in their hand is worth $500. Of course, the, the Olympic athlete, um, they got a pine wreath. They got to wear a pine wreath. That's what they did. What's that worth? Paul says, man, our, our inheritance, it's imperishable. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. We have an inheritance which is imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It is, and it also is reserved in heaven for us. Man, it's not about a gold medal <laughs> for us. It's about God himself. So what's he talking about here? What is Paul talking about when he says, verse 27, he, he buffets his body, he, he makes it a slave. He's just talking about the spiritual disciplines. Lest possibly after I have preached to others, I, may, I myself should be disqualified. What's he talking about? Can a genuine Christian lose their salvation? No, no, no. It can never happen. No. If you've been taught that, you've been taught wrong, it's not biblical. Why are we sure that we can never lose our salvation? Because God did it. God did it. God said he did it. You'll never lose your salvation. Jesus says it multiple times in the Gospel of John. I'll never lose one that God has given me, that the Father has given me. So, you can't lose his salvation. Uh, Paul under, obviously understands this. But he's talking about, he's talking about being undisciplined, right? The, the perils of being undisciplined. He talks about over 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Paul's always putting this humility out there, right? I know I don't stand on my own. I know I could fall. But God is holding me. God is keeping me, right? The genuine Christian is never lackadaisical about his walk with the Lord. We are pressing on. We are laying hold. We are reaching forward. We are running. We're in the game. We're not spectators. We're in the game, right? Christians are not spectators in the great spiritual war that's going on in the world. We are not spectators. We're in the fight. We're in it. And shall we say, we're ready. Because of the disciplines we engage in, we are ready to be the witness God has called us to be. If you have salvation in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose it. If anybody has a question about that, come talk to me. You cannot lose it. This is not what Paul is talking about. 
You cannot lose it by how you live your life. But by how you live your life, you reveal if you truly have salvation in Christ. If it's real, it will spill out. John Piper again. This race of life has eternal consequences, not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. Eugene Peterson again. Again, when I use the message Bible, I always like to say, it's not the Bible. It's a paraphrase. Understand the message is not God's word. It is a paraphrase of God's word. But I like the way he says this here. He says, forget about self-confidence. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Peterson says, forget about self-confidence. It is useless. Cultivate God confidence. So how do we get God confidence? It's what we've been doing the last few months. Looking at God in those big chapters of Isaiah. Looking at God in Psalm 145, Psalm 16, Psalm 46. Our confidence is our God. This Greek word translated disqualified, it's the same Greek word Paul uses in the most, shall we say, one of the most loving pastoral exhortations. It's over in 2 Corinthians 13.5. I know you're familiar with it. And this is how I'll close. You may remember these words. Paul writes to the Corinthians, examine yourself. Okay, this is a loving pastoral exhortation. It's one of the most important things I can do as a pastor. Is simply repeat Paul's words here. Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So that's how I want to close the message. I just want you to examine your life. Are you in the race? Are you running? Are you pressing? Are you pushing? Are you growing? Are you striving? Are you praying? Are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification? Are you putting down sin? Are all these things happening in your life? Listen, if someone asks you if you're Christian, don't say, I prayed the prayer when I was eight. Don't ever say that. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, yeah, I've got a vibrant relationship going on with Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. It's not what you did. It's how you're living. Right? It's what Paul is saying. It's what Paul is saying to us tonight. So I lovingly say and exhort you, look at your life, examine yourself. Is Jesus Christ in you? If He is, you will not be living in moderated Christianity. It will not be conditional. It will not be disposable. You will be all in with Jesus. Your life will be full of spiritual athleticism, as Oswald Chambers says, and you will be plucky. This will be true of you. What a great exhortation. What a great exhortation. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful that you are always
always in our ear. You're never not in our ear. I'm thankful, Father, that you will not allow us to sit down because I know I have a tendency to, sit, to want to sit down. And I, I confess that even at my age, I think sometimes I should just coast on out. But Father, I love how you exhort us. We're not here to coast on out. We're here to run. We're here to strive. We're here to lay hold. We're here to repent. We're here to witness. We're here to speak the beautiful and redeeming truth of Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that we would be disciplined. Paul has exhorted us. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle has exhorted us to never moderate the call of Christ. Never let it be conditional. Let it never become peripheral. That it would always be the center of our life. It would be the passion and the priority of our life. Father, we pray this. We pray this. We pray that you will help us in this. Again, thank you for the text and the exhortation. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and I will close us with a benediction.